Hello there, everyone. This is Dan Figella here with Tech Emergence, where we interview researchers, entrepreneurs, and investors in the domain of emerging technology and the intersection of psychology and technology. And today, I'm lucky enough to have on the line someone who works very, very explicitly in that exact domain, who I had first heard about again at the 2045 Congress uh, last May now. That was in 2013. Um, Dr. Mikhail Lebedev who is currently is conducted uh, BMI research literally all over the world, is schooled in Moscow, uh, schooled in the United States, now uh, formally kind of planted at Duke, working very explicitly on BMI. So we'll have him on the show to be able to dive into that topic with. Dr. Lebedev, how are you today? Uh, very good. How are you? Very good. I'm glad to have you on the horn and, and glad to be able to dive into this topic. I was actually looking through Google Scholar even before our uh, our chat here, sort of some of your your papers and whatever else, and you're widely published in this particular domain. Um, I wanted to go a little bit into sort of uh, BMI's history and how it's taken us to where we are today. I think for a lot of folks, a uh, brain-machine interface is either a really far-out concept or it seems like something relatively new. You know, there's a Kickstarter with a headband and it helps you play with your iPhone or something, and it seems as though, you know, this is a relatively new and hip thing. But I know BMI has a rather rich history. I was wondering if you could go through that quickly as to how the heck we ended up here with these kind of technologies. Oh, sure. So BMI's brain-machine interfaces, they um, date back to 1950s, and uh, probably the first notable study was by John Lilly in 1950. He implanted from 25 to 600 electrodes in monkey cortex, and then he used these um, multi-electrode implants to stimulate the brain, and he observed uh, monkey responses to that. Then in, 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 in the 60s, um, uh, people uh, started to experiment with uh, electroencephalography, EEG, and they used these signals as a source of biofeedback. So they asked their subjects to voluntarily control their brain rhythms. Uh, probably the first study uh, where uh, the first brain-machine interface was demonstrated was by Gray Walter. And in 1963, he implanted electrodes in, in the motor cortex of um, patients who underwent uh, neural surgery. Hmm. And then he connected these electrodes to a slide projector. And then he, first he asked the subject to push a button and advanced the slide projector and uh, uh, the, these um, button pushes were accompanied by so-called readiness potentials in the motor cortex and he studied them and then he figured out that he could just directly con uh, connect the brain to the slide projector and now instead of uh, advancing the slide projector with the button he just advanced them with brain potentials of his subjects. Huh, so did they so did they simply have the intention of pushing the button and that sort of did the job for them? Exactly, exactly. They still pushed the button, but uh, amazingly, the, the brain beat their own fingers, so they just wanted to push the button and the slide project already advanced well, the You know, I, I wish I had a lot of technology that worked like that, Mikhail. I'll be honest with you. It'd be, yes. it'd be awful nice, right? Yes, if my if my car great. could if my car could start, and if you know, it'd just be be really cool if that was a little bit more universal. So wow, okay, yeah. so yeah, that was sixty yeah. three. That sorry, I interrupted you, but I thought that was a good one to sort of stop on. So okay, so that was back in sixty three. 
so so it was in 1963 then uh, in the 70s at NIA at NIH the group led by Carl Frank uh, started uh, BMI research in monkeys so they recorded um, single neurons in monkeys and then they made the single neurons control um, cursors and basically it was pretty pretty uh, similar to what um, we currently show with our approaches only they recorded like from three to eight neurons whereas now we record from 300 to 800 neurons Got it. also uh, uh, Fetz in the University of Washington he conducted very nice studies in in the 70s where he conditioned single cortical neurons uh, to uh, modulate in certain ways and uh, so th 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 this is how it was going going back in in the 70s but you know the computers were not so good as yeah. now yeah, yeah. and and then uh, after the computer started to develop uh, this was a real breakthrough um, in the BMI research so and probably the most prominent figures uh, who contributed to these developments first of all miguel nicolelis john chapin then uh, philip kennedy uh then john donahue andrew schwartz yep so so these are the most prominent researchers who contributed to this and uh, this research uh, kicked um in in the late 90s early 2000s and from there it was developing exponentially like the number of publications on brain machine interfaces grew exponentially and all kind of uh, interfaces were demonstrated so yeah. what i do i do research in monkeys so we record um, electrodes in the monkey brain and try to record as many neurons uh, as we can and uh, make uh, these neurons um, control external devices for example monkey brain can can control an, a robotic arm yep. make this arm perform reaching and grasping movements uh, or we can even control two arms uh, at the same time so to mimic bimanual movements or we can uh, extract locomotion patterns so also, we can send uh, um, some sensory feedback uh, to the brain to mimic uh, uh, tactile sensations. So this is what we do. Uh, okay, got it. Yeah. Now, then that's where I wanted to stop next just uh, quickly here because I know that right now brain-machine interface, at least in the more quote-unquote invasive sense, which is the, the sense that you're being involved, obviously, uh, placing electrodes in actual monkey brains. Um, not so much of that happening right now with humans, although there is some. Obviously, researchers at BrainGate, we've had a number of their folks yeah. uh, on the show with us in terms of uh, some folks who have been paralyzed or had strokes or whatever else, being able to, as you had mentioned, move a robotic arm, much as you would describe the monkey doing, um, you know, controlling a cursor on a screen, as I know uh, many, many monkeys have done in, in research laboratories as well. Um, what does brain-machine interface sort of allow for today in sort of the useful medical world? Obviously, there's a lot of great research that's going to open up a lot of additional fields of use here. But what is sort of permittable and allowable, and what what is what is the field, yeah, what what is the field sort of facilitated in terms of new treatments in the world today that people might not be aware of? 
So basically, now we pretty much know what can be accomplished with car technology, and this field a little bit saturated. So what I think will happen in the next five to ten uh, years, we will see um, new breakthroughs in this research. So. Um, really new um, systems will be developed that I, I cannot tell you right now what, what exactly yeah. it will be and then it will just go directly to clinical practice or even to everyday life so and then we will really see how the these um, artificial systems uh, electronics merge with our brain so I can imagine for example somebody connecting external memory to, to the brain, for example, yeah. or enhancing brain capabilities in certain ways. And so, but, 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 but this will happen <laughs> just not, not tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit, a little bit longer out, and I do want to get there. So I think uh, towards the end of the interview here, I would certainly like to touch on what some of the farther reaches are. Of, of potential here from someone with the deep actual scientific expertise not uh, you know in in this particular domain so I do want to eventually get there if we can touch there first um, just on on BMI today you know I've seen the brain gate videos I know that you know they have Kathy moving a robotic arm they have some other folks able to control a cursor on a screen what are some of the other human level uh, BMI applications, even external, e even EKG? You know, how how is BMI being used today in some sort of useful human sense? You know, right here, right now on Earth. So the most successful BMI system currently is cochlear implant, where uh, stimulating electrodes are implanted in uh, in the auditory nerve. And uh, this has been really successful. So people who couldn't hear, they regain ability to hear. So um, I, I think these kind of sensory BMIs will continue to develop and probably soon we will see a real breakthroughs in um, visual prosthetic devices. Huh. Uh, blind people will start to see again. Yeah, there, there's a bit of that going on today. How, how is that? I've heard it's not, you know, maybe safe enough to, you know, operate heavy equipment, but how is that optical BMI systems working? You know, every now and again you see the story, you know, man with bionic eye can see. Um, you know, how far along are we there? So, um, like, again, maybe... Um, five to ten years from real interesting demonstrations. So <laughs> yeah, there yeah, are yeah. various ways uh, to um, restore vision, and uh, they also depend on what kind of impairment a person has. So uh, in, in certain cases, there is a problem with the retina. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Then, then the idea is to stimulate what remains of the eye. So basically stimulate either the optic nerve or ganglion cells. And uh, some of the systems were actually pretty successful. Then if, if um, this does not work, uh, for example, like there, there's no eye at all. So then you have to stimulate visual cortex. And in a certain way, this possibility looks uh, more interesting to me because I work with the cortex 
and this is a large area of the brain you can stimulate in different places and actually um, around 10 15 years ago there were very interesting studies where um, they stimulated blind people in the cortex and these blind people really reported that they can see um, flashes of light wow. and uh, even some simple simple objects so I, I think this has uh, certainly room to develop, especially that now there are new ways to stimulate the brain, optogenetics. Yeah, optogenetics, a, of course, like yeah. brand new way to stimulate, and uh, hopefully if these new stimulation methods develop, I, yeah, we, we can see uh, these um, devices for restoration of vision. Indeed. Um, and, and then so, uh, there ahead, will yeah. be... Yeah, no, I was just saying that the folks that have their, their eyesight uh, repaired today, so any, any as you had mentioned, in the future, we may be able to directly sort of hook up to the cortex itself and have completely blind folks be able to see. Right now, anybody that has a bionic eye, so to speak, just to be clear for the audience, they already have eye pieces in place and we're, we're just sort of augmenting existing exactly. eye pieces. Yeah, yeah, okay. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Understood. Okay, cool, cool. But yeah, clearly, as you had mentioned, in the future we'll be able to reach out even farther. Anyway, I just interrupted you. I'll let you take it away. Uh, actually, even with, um, with magnetic stimulation, you can achieve some cruise stimulation. You, you don't even have to open the, the skull, skull yeah, yeah. To, to, to get uh, so. so uh, this will not get us too far, but this is an interesting method as yep. well. So then we will see uh, developments in uh, this motor BMIs that um, try to restore um, motor abilities, uh, uh, cure paralysis. So here uh, you, you have seen really remarkable bionic arms developed. Then I think exoskeletons for restoration of locomotion, they will develop. And they will not be as bulky as now. Yeah. Uh, or you can even imagine that a person gets an artificial body, uh, like when, uh, say, um, uh, the person's body gets too old, then one can imagine this person gradually replacing the body with artificial parts. Yep. So because the most important part of the body is the brain, so yep. we, you can keep the brain, but then replace the parts. Uh, well, uh, so so I think these multi BMIs will develop. Then there was a recent development called brain-to-brain -brain interface, where you can record in one brain and uh, connect this brain directly to the other brain. So this has just started. Yeah, and I saw, I saw the report about that. Time. From mouse to mouse, right? That was the, the most recent yeah. sort of, yeah. And I, I know that some folks sort of balked at it, and some people uh, you know, really liked and respected the research. What are your thoughts there about kind of brain-to-brain -brain, brain -brain communication there? Yeah, the, this really has a future. Uh, I can tell you that uh, the publications on this will grow exponentially. So right now, these are pretty simple ways, like uh, one line of communication from one brain to another. 
but then uh, we will see increases in the number of channels from one brain to another and uh, uh, really really this may be uh, really amazing applications uh, almost uh, like you sensing the other person so so this is like a really interesting opening right now. Yeah, what might be uh, the potential applications there in the brain-to-brain -brain, uh, domain? I mean, what, I, I don't remember exactly what was passed from one mouse brain to another. Anybody listening in, you can very easily Google, you know, mouse brain to, to brain to, 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 you know, look up a little bit more there. But where where might that have use? I mean, just in telepathic communication, you know, if I wanted to have this interview with you just in my mind and, you know, wire my head directly to yours, we might be able to converse there? Or would it more be seeing what you're seeing or you seeing what I'm seeing? How, how might that apply in the future? So, so for the mouse, it was relatively simple. Uh, the one mouse was um, do, like going to the right or to the left to get um, water. And then uh, when it did this, it also sent uh, to the other uh, mouse what it did. And uh, the brain of the other mouse was stimulated and it reproduced the action of this mouse. Uh, but uh, then there was a feedback loop. Uh, if the recipient mouse did it correctly, then the uh, sender mouse get an additional reward. So if it, it was interested to improve this communication channel. Wow. There really was. A, that is fascinating, uh, huh? Wow. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so th th this is like uh, I, I am talking to you, but I, I want to get my message very clear. So, so that uh, mm, you get it, and I'm rewarded for this. Exactly. No, that's that's yeah. that's pretty darn astounding. So, just to just to sort of visualize this, one mouse turned to the right to drink some water, and the the other mouse sort of turned to the right as if there was water, even though there wasn't. No, no, no. Uh, one mouse was here in Durham, and the other was in um, Brazil, in Natal, Brazil. So the, the one in Durham uh, responded to some, you know, light and turned to the right, and the other mouse just received this message: go to the right, and also went to the right. And when it performed correctly, the first mouse uh, got an additional reward. Uh -huh. so this is how it worked. That, that's interesting because yeah. you, you'd almost think that you'd want to reward the receiving mouse because you, you, you're not really sure how the first mouse can get better at – so it was just finding a way for that first mouse to get better at pumping that exact message more thoroughly through the lines. I mean that's, that's a very, very well, interesting test. Actually, these rodents, they're really smart in the way that they really – uh, adjust uh, in their behavior to get more rewards. So <laughs> yeah. whatever it took, <laughs> whatever it took to <laughs> make this message more clear for the other mouse, <laughs> it, like it, it probably might become more consistent or go at a certain speed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or think clearly about this. Oh, that that's so man. That's that's the. Uh, yeah, that is amazing because they're not exactly sure probably what that first mouse had to do to make the message quote unquote more clear, but he he sort of got a feel for it eventually. You know, if he did it if he did it with a certain level of intensity or in a certain way or at a certain exactly. speed, you know, so again, that seems very amorphous, very sort of, 
you know, we're not exactly sure what's happening there, but we do know that he's motivated to replicate what success is. Yeah, and yeah, he was motivated, and this motivation came from his uh, partner. Yeah. And, uh, like, even in the smallest research, uh, you can imagine building um, brain nets out of many, many rodents, and uh, they can perform some collective behaviors, and uh, many things can be done. Yeah, but, but, wow. Collecting a mouse brain net. Uh, Google that one, guys. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's solid. Okay. Um, <laughs> so may, maybe on that note, Mikhail, just because I know we are uh, we're at we're at twenty minutes, but I'm I'm definitely more than happy to delve a little bit deeper. What might be, you know, from from your perspective? I mean, thus far, obviously, BMI has come a long way and has been around for much longer than most folks uh, realize, over half a century, in fact. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about recovering sight, but then we also talked about, uh, you know, everything from telepathic communication to replacing body parts with synthetic body parts. Where might, uh, from your perspective, where might brain-machine interface really cross over into the real world in a way where it, uh, you know, you, you, had, you had talked about even enhancing memory, perchance, um, in a way that it really becomes transform transformational in the sense of, human experience in general you know where might that be you know some some aspects of bmi are way longer down the line than others but what might be some of those first technologies for you as a researcher that, that you think might be more viable to really kind of cross over and in, enhance what human life is for lack of better terms so there is this uh, futuristic scenario that machines are developing really rapidly and, and at some point machines will become um, smarter than humans and then they will overtake the whole planet and uh, yeah. <laughs> humans uh, will become uh, irrelevant just, yeah yeah there's certainly yep uh, just inferior to machines but what uh, humans in principle could do they could enhance themselves with uh, extra parts like bmi parts so like uh, this is of course uh, just a uh, a far out thought, uh, but yeah, yeah. Fantasy scenario. Yeah, yeah. But you can imagine that it will be not just competition with humans uh, with machines, but competition of enhanced humans with machines. So, so maybe really this um, a human being of the future will not be just a human being, but part human, part additional parts. Yeah. So, so this this maybe when uh, really. Um, uh, the, uh, the the uh, the BMI will become a part of our life. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 this is um, very plausible. Like, could you imagine uh, in ten years ago that uh, iPhones or iPads uh, would be so popular and uh, that yeah, it, no, you uh, can't. It's tough to predict. Yeah, part of you <laughs> yep. when you use um, so, some computer or tablet. What do you think so, might be? What do you think might be some of those first? And it's very hard to say. Um, but what do you think might be some of those first functionalities that you know the enhanced version of that functionality? I mean, memory sounds like a good one, but I'm I, you know I forget things quite often uh, that I'd prefer not to forget. And uh, you know, potentially vision enhancing vision. You know, what might be these day to day enhancements as you had just mentioned? that are viable and that become a day-to-day -day part of life? As much as my cell phone, as much as my laptop, what might become another inexpendable element of sort of augmenting um, humanity? And what are the more realistic ones to come into the foreground uh, more more quickly than others? 
So memory is, uh, of course, probably the first priority because the um, memory and computational power, because the brain is huge, it has uh, 80 billion neurons, but it cannot do uh, things that a computer can do very easily. A computer can remember huge amounts of numbers, random numbers, and computer can uh, perform computations really fast. So, uh, probably these um, brain enhancers will come as additions that uh, supplement uh, the brain in doing uh, this kind of parts. That, uh, the computations and operations that uh, biological brains do not do very well. Then, there will be uh, enhancements in uh, motor performance. Uh, like enhanced human will be able to uh, become stronger with the artificial body parts and quicker uh. and uh, reach to greater distance. Yeah, do you like, do? You, uh, huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, there was. I know there's an Olympian or some famous runner who had had sort of uh, legs of that sort. Do you think the physical enhancements, maybe a hand, an arm, yes. a leg, whatever, will be? Uh, easier, kind of closer down the line than the mental enhancements, such as memory? It seems like replacing an arm is easier than having greater memory, but I could be wrong there. Uh, no, both of these problems have difficulties of their own. Yes. Like this, robotics is very advanced nowadays, but still it is inferior to what we can do with our muscles. Yep. Of, of course, robotics can make you much stronger. Yep. So, so, so the, this will be definitely a development. Uh, memory, we know that computer can remember a lot, and we use computers exactly, but interfacing this memory in a natural way so that you can just... A request by the brain something and then get an immediate answer from from this um, uh, electronic storage. That's a big problem. Yeah. yeah actually, there have been some progress in this uh, artificial parts for the hippocampus, but uh, obviously there is much more to do. Yes, there's there's work to be done, and and I imagine that's what you'll be getting to once we get off uh, once we get off this call. And I appreciate yeah. you. <laughs> Uh, hang, hanging around with us for a little bit longer than we had anticipated, but this is very, very exciting, and I, I do believe very, very adamantly that any technology that crosses over with consciousness, that involves enhancing our own sort of sentience uh, in some way, shape, or form, uh, has a very, very high ethical gravity, a very high ethical threshold to sort of its import uh, to man, and, and it's great to be able to speak with somebody with this kind of particular and explicit uh, expertise. If folks want to learn more about you, Mikhail, um, in terms of you know your own research, the progress in BMI, I found some of your work on Google Scholar. Is there anywhere that where they should look and kind of uh, maybe find some useful material here? Maybe Duke's website. Uh, you can go um, go to Google Scholar, and there I have a homepage which I am slowly filling with stuff. So. Just um, I will try to keep you updated. And of, co of course, read our papers we publish, and most of them are open source and they yeah. are available. Great. Fantastic. Cool. So you, you heard it from the man himself, Dr. McHale. Thank you very much for being here today with us on Tech Emergence. Thank you. <laughs>
Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>